0: You don't know these guys, but I do. I know them well, too well, so well in fact that I must advise you. Do not take any advice from either of them. Seriously. Their comments that follow are just their own opinions and should not be relied on for anything. Not only should you not consider anything they say to constitute legal advice, I wouldn't believe much at all that they tell you. It's genetic, and it goes back for generations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Motion Sickness, the show, making sense out of the nonsense and law. My name is Brian Morris. I am Jeff Morris. That's right. And today we are continuing the epic story of Mr. Morris going to Washington.
1: Epic is hardly the word.
0: It seemed pretty epic. <laughs> I mean, at least you made it there. So, just just to recap, um, and if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I uh, highly suggest it because some it of the stuff may this not part. make sense. <laughs> but uh, basically, uh, a case made it to the Supreme Court, and uh, my dad uh, took a, a page out of the book from his... Fellow ambulance chasers and contacted the guy that was going, <laughs> and uh, somehow ended up on his legal team,
1: uh, and almost missed it completely through a series of uh, misadventures and and battles with uh, foggy weather. Was delayed on my on my arrival in Washington D.C. until uh, just shortly before lunchtime. I, I can't believe that they on brought you in. Why didn't they just wait
0: till they? break for lunch i mean you literally sat down they're like all right lunchtime like that's weird anyway so you've had lunch and now you are i guess going back into the courtroom
1: yeah we're about ready to do that we you know we had a variety of just sort of personal conversations oh do you know this guy or i know sure. this person yeah just making acquaintance with people because it's the and, first time uh, you've met them in person first time i'd met him in person and uh uh, and then at one point, the the guy who was the the uh, uh, New York lawyer who also had a Washington office, he knew one of the people there, and he was actually uh, chatting with some of them. And and, and was and, the uh, debtor there too? The debtor was there also. I, I got to meet the debtor after the argument was over. Okay, I but never met he, him.
0: Did he like sit in the court and listen? He to was him? in the
1: court, but he was back in those public seats. Oh, okay, seats. in the okay. And uh, in fact, I, I I'll read a bit of a letter that he sent to me at one point uh, thereafter. Uh, talking about that experience for him but uh, but you know it gave me a chance to uh, uh, talk a little bit with Ned who was the guy who uh, was going to argue the case um, and so we uh, we had uh, we had a nice conversation and, and he he expressed the concern that gee I'm you know uh, arguing this for the first I'm arguing a case for the first time in the Supreme court it's pretty Pretty nerve-rattling, but uh, he said, I, I think we've got things in order. Although he, he said, you know, I wish we had done this or we had done that. And I, I sort of said, you know, everybody's in that position from the biggest case to the smallest case. And I said, this is going to be no different, but I think we've got a a solid set of arguments that uh, address the issues that they've raised and, and provide logical, supportable answers uh, for the court to rely on. And I said, it's, you know... Just a matter of getting it to them now, uh, and you know there's a a lot of uh, disagreement over the significance or importance of oral argument. A lot of people say it means almost nothing because the cases are decided almost entirely on the briefs. Right. New things don't come up, and you can't uh, you can't do things that. Um, really undo what you've got in the brief. You've got to live with what the brief tells you. Right. And so your arguments are pretty much constrained. And so so that's the way it went. We, we just kind of did it that way and said, let's go ahead and start. And uh, so um, uh, we sit down, and, and, and just before the argument is going to start, uh, the guy who was the Solicitor General of the United States, the actual Solicitor General was a guy named Drew Days, he can He came up to us, introduced himself to us, and you know, just said hello and welcome to the court and all that sort of thing. It was it was nice. It was very interesting and uh, uh, nice to meet him. But he was there and gone because he right. was clearly not arguing this case or doing anything with it. He was just figurehead, and he had somebody in his office who was going to actually argue the case. Right. Um, and then you know, one o'clock, justices come in, sit down, and uh, of course, as I said. Justice Rehnquist did not participate, so the senior justice was Justice Stevens, John Paul Stevens, mm-hmm. and he uh, was presiding justice, and uh, he called the case. And, um, and just as they're returning, Ned says to myself and the other guy, when, when I get up to argue, slide over one so you're closer to me. That way, if a question comes up and I need you, you can write something or what have you. Right. Um and, and so we're, we're ready to do that. But, uh, but of course, the other side is, is going to be uh, up first, and we're waiting to hear how that goes. And uh, so about two minutes after one, the lawyer for the debtor gets up, and he is a real New Hampshire lawyer. He's got a real New Hampshire accent. Sure. Very, very thick accent. And... Uh, To me, he seemed unfamiliar with basic parts of the case. Well, this is the lawyer for the creditor? For the debtor. Excuse me, I'm sorry, for the creditor. You're right, for the creditor. I misspoke. For the creditor. He gets up and says, you know, here's my spiel, and here's this, and here's that. and uh, He's getting peppered by uh, Ginsburg and Scalia and Breyer with all these questions, and he's not really doing very well with them. He's not really demonstrating that he understands what they're trying to get at. And right. it's a it's a tricky business because sometimes when a when a, uh, a justice asks you a question, he's trying to or she is trying to ask it so that you answer it a certain way, so they can then use that argument against another justice when they get to their conference and discuss it.
0: Right. Okay. Okay.
1: So you don't really know what their purpose is and all this stuff, but uh, at any rate, this guy is, is really taking a beating. <laughs> and uh, um, he, uh, one of the things that, that came up was this, this lawyer raised this distinction between the level of reliance that a creditor would need to have to be able to pursue one of these cases and have it accepted from the discharge. And he said, oh, it should be a justifiable level rather than a reasonable level. And it would be probably a lower standard. You could be, uh, to use a not perfect word, but a dumber guy and be justifiable. Even if it wasn't reasonable to rely on something, it might still be justifiable. Typically, it's because, well, you know, you could have found out something, but you just didn't. Reasonably, you could have taken a, uh, a moment or two and figured out some fact that would have turned you on to this potential problem but you didn't do it. So we might still say your reliance was justifiable even if it wasn't ultimately reasonable. Right. So he was arguing pretty hard for that standard, and I, was, I it was unclear to me why any different such standard would be necessary or appropriate for a number of reasons. And, you know, they were reasons we had talked about, but we just didn't see that as a really strong argument for them. I, we thought it was going to be more likely to be Oh well, his re- his reliance was reasonable in the circumstances, and that sh- should meet the standard. So we just, you know, he made the argument. and He sat down and and uh, I give you an example of his. Well, was he talking too much? Like, <clears throat> was it was
0: he speaking at all to the decisions of the prior courts, though, or was he trying to like?
1: It doesn't like, sound like some it, somewhat, right? But it was more like my guy got ripped off here, and he should have. Some protection. So it's almost like he's handling it like it's a normal court case. Yeah. he, he It wasn't the most, I thought, effective or persuasive set of right. arguments. Okay. So so as an example, the, the justices are trying to figure out, well, you know, what's the level of reliance that's appropriate or what's reasonable in the circumstances? And so they, they offer up hypotheticals and they say to you, well, suppose this happens, you know, you want this to be the rule. If that's the rule, what would the resolution of this circumstance be? And so Justice Breyer says, uh, "Well, let me give you sort of the lineup. So since we're sitting on the left side, facing the court, mm-hmm. and so it's the right side of the court looking at us. As we mentioned in the last uh, episode, the distance between your chair behind the table at council table and where the actual benches where the justices are sitting is is ten feet. I mean, it's, it's close.
0: If they sneeze, you could have a justice booger on you. You could."
1: And it probably happened. Right. Um, and so as it happened, I was literally 10 feet from uh, the late Justice Scalia while mm. this argument's going on. And over on the other side of the uh, bench was Justice Breyer. And, of course, they're widely separated both in in distance and philosophy. Right. And, uh, and Justice Breyer asks this New Hampshire lawyer, well he said "Well, council and I can only paraphrase well council uh, uh, suppose uh, uh, I'm Napoleon and I tell you that I want to sell you the island of Elba and uh, and you buy that is that a reasonable reliance by you and and this lawyer just kind of looked at him completely nonplussed. And I don't know if he didn't know who Napoleon was, or didn't understand or didn't know Elba. what the island of Elba was, yeah. or what the connection between Napoleon and the yeah. island of Elba was. But it was abundantly clear that this guy had no idea, and he kind of stammered for a while. And Justice Breyer noticed that this guy, uh, he. he sort of said to himself, I can imagine, yeah, I I think my hypothetical was a little too sophisticated for this man. (laughs) So let me offer you another one. So he said, suppose I...
0: Well, just to put it in perspective, so Napoleon was imprisoned on the island of Elba. Like, that was his punishment. So the justice is saying, hey, I'm Napoleon, I'm going to sell you this island and then get the hell out of here. Well, that's obviously not reasonable reliance. Yeah. Uh,
1: And so you just outshined a guy who argued a case in the Supreme Court.
0: Hey, what can I say?
1: Justice Breyer, to, to make it a little bit easier, said to the guy, Well, okay, suppose I have a horse, and I tell you that this horse is not long in the tooth. And uh, and you buy the horse, and in fact the horse is really quite old. What about that? And the, and the guy was not a horseman either, so I don't think he understood the...
0: Wait, what's long in the tooth mean? I don't understand.
1: It means, when, when the guy said it's not long in the tooth, it means it's not old. Long in the tooth oh. means... The horse oh. is old, and you literally can look in the mouth of see, a horse see. I did better with
0: Napoleon than I did with uh,
1: you did. whatever you did. that was. <laughs> but that's not an uncommon sort of uh, 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 metaphor, long in the tooth. And, and this guy sort of semi-got it. And, and at times, Justice Scalia would jump in mm-hmm. and try to help the guy out to make it, you know. And he would make a comment about, well, you know, let's put it this way. And uh, at one point in Justice Breyer's attempt to clarify all this, he sort of, at least to my mind, showed his hand, if you will, and clearly seemed to be saying, look, you know, this guy, this creditor in this case, all he had to do, he he already already knew something might be up. He could have easily, literally walked across the street from his office to the courthouse and looked at the records and seen, because there was nothing hidden in that way, so I don't know that we should be out there helping him. You know, this reliance was not sufficient to lead to the protection of, of that creditor's claim against the filing of bankruptcy. And so as, as Breyer is, is saying this, I can literally hear under his breath Justice Scalia saying, yeah, that's right. Of course that's right. And so now <laughs> I'm thinking, first of all, I'm amazed that I'm hearing this from that close a location. I mean, it just, I didn't expect to And you're like
0: giving each other high fives under the table at this
1: point. (laughs) Well, you know, I was giving myself a high five without moving my hands just because I thought, wow, this is, I I think that's exactly right. I think that's very consistent with what bankruptcy policy should be. It wouldn't end up with lots of different uh, standards around state law and other stuff. It it struck me as, as a sensible solution. And so, you know, I thought, oh, okay. Now, so that guy finally, after pushing buttons all on this reasonable versus justifiable reliance, he sits down after his, his argument's done. Now, as I said, the U.S. had intervened in the case, and it had 10 minutes to argue. You usually get 15 minutes aside, and they let the U.S. have 10 minutes. Mm. And I think they may have taken five minutes off of the other creditor, but I'm not sure anymore in my recollection. But this, this young lawyer gets up from the Solicitor General's office and he starts his argument. And his argument in a nutshell was you don't need to have any reliance whatsoever because the statute doesn't specifically say you need reliance. And there's another part of the statute that talks about needing reliance. So the, the, uh, the, the, the argument was that the statute consistently... Uh, to be read consistently would mean no reliance of any kind here, and reliance over in this in this other subcategory of circumstances. Now, the uh, the issue is is raised by the by the justice, okay? And the justice is saying, well, okay, uh, you're trying to argue now that any kind of reliance at all is irrelevant. You don't even have to rely. You wouldn't even have to know this guy did this to know that. That uh, some change had occurred in the relationship of the parties and the ability to collect the debt.
0: Right, and and which is absurd, which right? is crazy. Yeah, I mean
1: that was a nobody would make that argument unless that was the only one you had to make, and that was kind of the only argument that this guy could make. Kind of like a long shot, a real long shot. It was the hail mary pass. Yeah, but I must say, this guy was spectacular in his oral advocacy skills. He knew the record in the case, and that was. 1600 pages by the time you put everything together sure he would cite to them well you know uh, Justice uh, uh, Justice Souter at uh, page 1114 in the record uh, you'll see that it says thus and such and, and he would do that all the way through spice through now he obviously had had that set up ahead of time right but his responses to the questions were exceptional and he really really did a great job with a total crappy argument as a matter of substance right but he was really impressive. But this is
0: going towards your the creditor well, side. Well, against, but but I'm saying like towards your statement earlier of you know how important is the oral argument.
1: It to some extent we're gonna find that out I guess. Yeah. So then you know he sits down, and uh, and Ned gets up. Respondents counsel gets right. up. Right. And you know you typically when you have an oral argument, you you typically have what's not very creatively called a roadmap. So ahead of time, you've already said, here's the outline of my talk. Right. I want to hit this. 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 And so you might start off with, well, you know, may it please the court. In this case, the real issue is X and Y, and we win because of these two reasons. Right. Let me elaborate, and boom, off you go. And you can't you can't ne- uh, really direct the discussion except by virtue of the answers you give the court. Because right. Some are more aggressive in, in questioning than others. I think the current Supreme Court is much more chatty, if you will, than mm-hmm. the former Supreme Court, the one that was there in 95. Uh, but still you had people who were not shy about questions. Tip, uh, particularly Breyer Scalia Ginsburg. Um, now, ironically, all three of them were law professors before they went on the Supreme Court. So I'm just can't saying get you guys maybe, to shut up. Maybe you know, that's right. You know, uh, most of the time you, you don't get anybody to listen to you as a law professor. So when you get the chance, you might as well use it. I guess as the right. just
0: they, they call it diarrhea of the mouth. Well, among other things. Yeah, but yeah,
1: there's, but but they're they're just active questioners, let's say, and certainly different from as we we said the the um, uh, poster child for the quiet justice, Justice Thomas, who as you know, rarely if ever asks a question. So, so now it was finally Ned's turn to get up and, and do his uh, presentation to the court, including starting off with his, his roadmap and, and, and such. And uh, he gives that, and then he's, he's just off. He's going. And he's way better than I ever thought he would be. And I thought he'd be good, but he'd never been uh, in an oral argument at that level, obviously. Sure. And he wasn't even really a trial lawyer. I mean, he, he might have been involved in some litigation, but it, it wasn't heavy duty and regular stuff. He was basically a corporate lawyer. Right. Uh, the good thing about it was the notion of fraud is also a big part of corporate law and the securities laws with Rule 10b-5, you may have heard of, but it's that's the rule that governs. Well, but country.
0: he's essentially familiar with what's going on. He's
1: familiar. And uh, you
0: guys have been practicing for... Yes. A few months
1: now at this point, right? Yeah, a few months. But you're still wondering, well, how's this guy going to do? Sure, of course. And i got to tell you, I was blown away. Yeah. I mean, I just thought, I cannot believe how good this guy is. He's answering every question. He's doing what, what really is what at least they tell you in the books you're supposed to do. He's taking that answer, and he's turning it right back to some other comment made by a justice previously. Right. Or in the other argument, or he's leading into the next thing. There's no pausing. There's no... There's no difficult answer. There's nothing. He's just killing it. Right. And, um, and you know, he's going through one after another, and, and they're seeming pretty satisfied with everything. And, in fact, I mean, he finishes before his time is up. You know, they have different colored lights that come on. There's no, oh, really? They don't, oh, yeah. There's different colored lights, and they tell you when it's uh, five minutes and then two minutes and then the time, I think it is. It might be one minute, but different colored lights, and you see them there. So it's
0: like open um, mic night at a comedy club.
1: I, it could be Never okay. I mean, having been on that side of the mic. I, it's probably the same thing, and and the consequences are dire. I don't know if they have right, strikers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah club, uh... but you go over the time limit, and they'll just say, "Counsel, your time is up." Boom, and there's no microphone anymore. Now, um, so,
0: is it conceivable then that the justices can ask so many questions that you don't get through your argument, and your time just runs up? Absolutely. So, you so really one of uh, one of the skills that you have to have in putting together your argument is is don't leave a lot of room for question, right?
1: Well, you don't have that choice because- Well, I know you don't have
0: the choice, but I'm saying like if you if you tailor your uh, uh, argument to preemptively answer what you think some of the justices' questions may be, then you're not going to lose a lot of time.
1: It, that can absolutely happen. It's yeah. the rarest of rare that that sure. happens. If they've got a question, and again, remember what I said earlier, a lot of times the point of their question is something not even directly connected to that question. And they want to make sure that this other issue has been sufficiently raised so that this other justice who might have been yapping about it and didn't understand the flaw in that might see the flaw or might be convinced of the brilliance of it, whichever it may be. Sure. So, So there's a lot of dynamics going on that you have no control over and you couldn't even know. Yeah. And, and all I was saying earlier was that this guy, in whatever whatever it was that possessed him at the moment, did, I thought, a spectacular job, hit what he thought were all the important points, and he's done early. Mm-hmm. He finishes before his time is up, and he says, you know, essentially, uh, well, um, Your, Your honors if there are no further questions, that concludes my argument. And it's he, he's not even butt in chair, and boom. Stevens, uh, who was the presiding justice at the time says, uh, this case is submitted and they're gone. They just, whoosh, you know, it they just disappear back behind the, <laughs> Vanishing the, the night. <laughs> and, you know, it was, uh, it was almost like, you know, chairs on those uh, you know, little pulleys or something. You yeah. Just, yeah. Drag them back in there and, and it was gone. Does, and, does uh, it look bad not to use all your time? No. Does it look like you haven't prepared enough or something? No, it doesn't. It, okay. it looks bad if you run on and repeat yourself. Right. Um, you know, if if there's something in your argument you haven't explained that needs explaining, that's rare because again, it's all you, got the brief, yeah. you got the brief, you got it in the brief, and if you didn't have it in there, you got a big problem anyway. Right. They're not going to be listening to you. Right. And uh, in fact, there was an issue at one point that uh, Justice Stevens was was talking about and said, you know, he says, wait a minute, you know, um, you know, was this even, you know, was this even uh, raised in the lower court, and uh, and you know, that's the uh, that's a that's a problem yeah. and and Ned said well your honor you know I wasn't involved in the case uh, in the lower court in fact uh, my my client was unrepresented was pro se at that point and not everything that could have been raised probably was raised but uh, this is we think germane to issues that are present sure. and is well within uh, appropriate consideration given what is in front of the court and you know I and he said it much more eloquently than I did, uh, and I think very, very effectively. Um, but you know, that was that was it. And I, I, mean, it comes and goes so quickly when you're sitting in the middle of it. Right. It seems like the, just the blink of an eye, and it's you know this case is submitted, off they go. Right. Um, now my first reaction was I mean I get up and I was shaking Ned's hand. I said, man, oh man, I can't believe what a great job you did, and, and uh, it was just masterful. I, I just was. You know, I didn't want to seem too shocked of him thinking, well, he thought I was... Yeah, a, he was right of schmo. Him. But it really was a, a super job. And uh, and I told him, I said, man, I don't know. You know, I've, I'm have i hardly somebody to, to prognosticate about Supreme Court justices and, and their votes and these things. You should see these talking heads on TV all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, they're going to vote this and they're going to vote that. I said, I have no idea. But I said, I'm sitting here and I heard... <laughs> Breyer saying this and this and i heard scalia saying yeah that's right i said if you got briar and scalia together yeah that's pretty good i mean that suggests right. a wide range of favorable view of the position and he you know he just said yeah i hope so he said i think it went well and and uh you know that was that was it And we you know i said hello and shook hands with the counsel for the for the creditor and then afterwards uh uh, I was outside, and I was, was talking to the, the guy from the other uh, New York lawyer with our group, talking to him for a while about mutual acquaintances we had, because I knew a bunch of folks in New York and, and Washington and such, and nice, pleasant conversation. He and I actually ended up taking a cab back to the airport, but but before I went, I got to meet two people that I thought were quite interesting in, in two different ways. I met the lawyer from the uh, Solicitor General's office who argued on the other side, mm-hmm. and I you know i said you know introduced myself and what my role was in this and and uh and he introduced himself and he said i i, I complimented him I, I said gee i you know you know i don't think your argument's any good but i gotta say i thought you did a spectacular job of presenting your position and, and handling everything i said it was really really excellent uh, uh, and he said well i really appreciate that he said i I'd love to chat more, but he said, I'm getting my picture taken with my sister. My mom's taking my picture. This is the first case I've ever argued in the court. Holy so shit. So he said, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I yeah, appreciate yeah. what you're saying. And he was just the nicest guy in the world. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. And it was fun to then see him have Be his picture taken. And excited about it. And, 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 and you know, his mom was there and all and that sort of thing. Correct me
0: if I'm wrong, but I I, I think we were talking about it at one point um, when we were doing our profile episode. Um, but the, the guy is that do that are generally pretty young and fresh out of law school? Or was that the... No. Or is that the guys... Those called, are the, the guys who are
1: the clerks for the justices. Oh, uh, okay, okay. They're usually not... Anymore, they're not right out of law school. They typically have a clerkship on a court of appeals, typically, mm-hmm. beforehand and then for then a year move, or two, uh... and then they move up, and they do two years of okay. the Supreme Court. But they're still... Essentially, right out of law school, with a, a rare occasion where somebody might go back much later. Mm. But this guy himself was not very long out of law school. I'm, I would venture to say, uh, less than five years, mm-hmm. and uh, he was super. Yeah, as I said, horrible substantive argument. Made no sense to say you don't have to have any reliance. But that was kind of where he was stuck. He had no well, choice yeah, but was... to, to argue that. So, and that happens. You know, you, you know, the lawyer is not the argument, uh, but his. The Mythbusters
0: is, did prove that you can, in fact, polish a turd. Well, there It is go. possible to do. There so. you
1: go. There you go. Um, and so, you know, we we, uh, we kind of got, as I said, they kind of shoo you out of the courtroom. And because we, you know, we were in the back and, and the other person... And, and they I were met, having a bar mitzvah
0: there later, that's too. That's right. So. Well,
1: they had a... It was a, a six Sweet 16 thing. Oh, was MTV it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got uh. <laughs> to...
0: Those, those girls, you don't want to piss them off.
1: No. Um... But I, uh, as we were then being pushed out into the main public area of the Supreme Court Building, uh, the guy came. A guy came up to me and introduced himself, and it was the debtor Phil Mance, who I had oh, okay. obviously never met, but I had right. spoken to on the phone, and uh, and he was he was very uh, gracious and thanks so much for all the work you did on this, and boy, don't you think Ned did a great job, arguing yeah, yeah. that that really seemed great. It was so gratifying to hear some of the things that were being said in there. He said, I hope it. Hope it goes well, but I really feel great about this and, and so forth. And I met his wife and uh, and you know, this was a guy who didn't have to go. I mean, he came down on his nickel, but it was, you know, how many times are you a party to a Supreme Court yeah. case? Not not too often. And uh, and that's what he did. And I it's usually
0: know, not something that people aspire to. No.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, and he was there against his will. I mean, he kept winning and the other guy kept yeah. saying, We gotta keep going, we gotta yeah. keep going and uh, and he ended up down there and that's that's where he was uh and as, as i said we had a real nice nice chat and uh i uh, wished him well and you know stay stable stay, stay in contact and hope for a good result and so forth and kind of left it at that and and then uh you know after i talked to the solicitor general's guy um got in a cab and headed back to the airport uh, the other uh lawyer from new york uh, came with me and he was getting dropped off at his downtown office somewhere so i went there and then back across the uh uh the bridge to Reagan National uh, and uh, uh a flight back home and it was uh um it was a really neat neat experience and uh uh as a result of uh finishing at that time I had a flight, you know, at like eight or seven thirty out of mm-hmm. D C and this was two o'clock. I got on the phone and I got a Got a flight at, uh, like, 4.30, and I got home about 6 o'clock, or at least to Columbus. To Columbus, yeah. And then had the, the long ride home, but uh, uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And then, of course, at that point now, you have another waiting game.
0: Right, and so what what's the general... Is there any way to, I guess, say, what's Anticipate the average... what the amount of time yeah. is, it'll take. Yeah, is it like, you know... All I really know about, like, courses, uh, courses, cases being decided by, like, um, a jury or something like that. They're like, oh, if, you know, if the jury's only in there for three hours, the guy's guilty. But, you know, if he's in there, if they're in there for ten days, chances are it's not guilty or something like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of, you know, old saws about, you know, a short time in the jury or a long time. And, of course, this is no jury involved. This is right. just the court having to come up with an opinion that resolves the matter and they've got different options they could just say affirmed they could just say reversed they don't do that because that wouldn't fulfill much of their uh, purpose which is to provide guidance for the lower courts going forward to handle similar cases well if this comes up again or something like it if it's close enough to it we should be deciding it the same way or if we've got something that that they said was an issue that's came out X here and it comes out Y there, well, then maybe this case isn't our guide. Something else may be. But, but that's only available if you know the court's thinking and they have to spell it out for you. Right. I mean, they're, and I think we've said this before in some of these sessions, the courts are the only ones in government that really have to explain themselves. Yeah. You know, when you pass a statute, you might have a committee that's written a, a report about uh, the appropriate level of, uh, you know, training for pilots before licenses should be issued or something, but that isn't, you know, then they'll have a statute that says or a regulation that says X pilots need this, 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 and this, uh, among other things or whatever it says. Well, suddenly, if you've got to figure out what that means, you got a whole bunch of other stuff going on and not much guidance. Right. And the idea of the court is, you come up with this decision, you got to tell us as well as you can. How and why? So that tomorrow we can take that and use it every single day. Do they...
0: um, Are they required to provide their... They call them opinions, right? Yes. Are they they required to provide their opinions at the time of decision? Or do they have time to...
1: No. What happens is they will go back in conference, as it's called. And they'll discuss the case. And they'll take a vote. Typically what happens is they'll take a vote. And they might... You know, I I think sometimes they do it the the day of. Sometimes they do it once a week. I'm not sure. But they'll go around the room and take votes on the cases. Okay. And then, okay, they'll say, you know, six to three or seven to two or whatever it happens to be. Um, Okay. um, Petitioner wins, respondent wins, whoever it is. The senior justice in the majority typically either writes the opinion for the majority or assigns it to someone else.
0: Oh, so they don't all write their own opinions.
1: No. Then what happens is the people who voted the other way, they'll write a dissent. And they may join and say, okay, you write the dissent. And then they'll join with it. Or right. they might, well, and that's just the beginning. Okay, so So there'll be a draft of an opinion. Let's say you've got a majority and a dissent okay and the both will be distributed among all the justices and the justices will read them their clerks will read them they'll go back and forth they'll make arguments and they'll you know they'll they'll say oh well you know I think that goes too far that's more than what I think it should be let's ratchet that back and so it'll go through a variety of drafts and huh. I don't I don't know what a, a normal amount of drafts might be but it wouldn't surprise me if it takes sometimes three or four before it is to a point even in these, what I would call lesser or lower-profile
0: cases. Now, but at, at this point, though, they've already decided the case.
1: Not publicly. They're, well, not publicly,
0: but I'm saying... They've
1: decided they with a preliminary vote. Okay. Because it could be that in the course of this publication among themselves of different views, people could change their mind. They yeah. still could. They could say, you know what? I'm on the other side now. So suddenly... You know, when that happens, and that's still part of what's going on. Like I said, they ask questions and look for answers that guide one way or the other. Well, heck, that's exactly what they're trying to uh, persuade people by. And sometimes that that happens. Um, In our case, it occurred that the uh, decision came down. And again, remember, there were only eight justices because Rehnquist did not participate. And it came down six to two. Uh, the majority, uh, uh, well, let me tell you who the dissenters, the dissenters were Scalia and Breyer together. Really? <laughs> and I, I don't know. I've never gone through the data to look at this, but it would not shock me that that's the only time they dissented together with and nobody were on else. on the same team, yeah. Yes, I mean, <laughs> and with nobody else. There right. may have been other times where four people dissented and they were in the groups, but I, I don't know of any instances in which they were the only two who dissented and the rest came along. and, That's and crazy. The, the court decided very much on this justifiable level of reliance instead of reasonable. And, and they came up with what I thought were some pretty questionable reasons why they said when, when Congress enacted the statute in 1978, the leading textbook on tort law in America, Prosser on Torts said that the standard should be justifiable reliance. Well, I doubt that many members of Congress knew that, but uh, that was one of the significant factors in the, in the mind of Justice Souter, who hmm. I think was as much taken by the uh, lawyer's New Hampshire accent, Souter being from New Hampshire, as anything else, because it, it was shocking to me that it came down the way it did with the basis that it had. Now, I was told... Um, in a meeting that a a person who was a clerk at the time said, oh, yeah, when that happened, I remember we said, yeah, we're going to do this and this and this. This is going to be all this justifiable stuff. We had no clue that that was, I don't recall that being part of any of the briefs or anything, but the the, the creditor's lawyer argued it, and I'd have to go back and look at their brief and see if they had something in there that, allowed him to make that argument, but it always made me wonder, where did that come from? Because I didn't think it was very well articulated by the other side, but it certainly looks like it came from, uh, at least from what I've been able to to glean, the uh, some uh, one or two of the clerks for Justice Souter. Um, So now, did any
0: any laws change because of this decision? Well, what changed
1: was the level of reliance that you had to prove if you wanted to have your claim against the debtor declared non-dischargeable. So before, you would have to say, look, my reliance on this fraudulent statement was reasonable. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, if, if, if I said to you, hey, look, uh, if you make this loan to me, I'll give you half of my earnings as an NBA uh, professional basketball player, and you made me the loan, nobody in their right mind would think it was reasonable for you to rely on me getting a bunch of money by playing in the NBA. I mean,
0: it's never too late to start.
1: I know. And then grow, right? <laughs> but but those kinds of things are just ridiculous. Nevertheless, there is some level where justifiable reliance kicks in where reasonable reliance wouldn't. Right. So that's the standard. Now, That you, the statute didn't change at all. No language in the... In the in the bankruptcy code changed because that's Congress would have to do that.
0: So I, I guess explain sort of in layman's term then like what is the standard now?
1: The standard is that uh, you have relied justifiably on a materially false statement, and that reliance led to this loss, which should not be discharged in bankruptcy. So it can't be some you know, so, minor, well, little irrelevant thing.
0: So, so in 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 the in the case of this case, I guess, um, they said that they, they said that
1: this guy said, ah, okay, forget it, I'm not going to do it. When they told him, we want a bunch of money if you want to. Right. transfer the property. He said, okay, well then forget it.
0: So he's just saying, I have no reason to think that he would then go behind my back to change over the ownership of this property. Right. Because he's relying on a statement of someone that he feels is reliable who's been paying him and all that
1: kind of stuff. I mean, I guess I can kind of see that. And and, and in fact, the court, all the courts below said it wasn't reasonable to rely on that because he came to him, and you know something's up when somebody well, comes he, to you and says... Hey, uh, I want to transfer this property. Right. And they say you can't you do it. You think
0: you might want to go behind him and check on that? You every might once want in a and
1: while. that's and that was what they suggested was kind of the difference. It wasn't probably wouldn't have been reasonable to rely on him and saying, Oh, he'll never do it, but it was justifiable. Because it would if you were that worried about it, the only reasonable thing to do would Let's be to keep an eye on, on the courthouse and see if any any deeds get recorded that show the transfer of the property. And it was a very easy thing to do, but he never did it. And then now, a couple of years later, the guy ends up in bankruptcy, and they say, "Aha, we got you." Right. Uh, and that's yeah. how it, that's how it all turned out. So they so, issued the the decision about oh, I don't know, a month and a half later, almost almost two months later, I guess. So
0: then, what happened to the 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 debtor?
1: Well, the debtor went back to New Hampshire and, and lived his life. He passed away, I think, about. Uh, I think about four or five years ago. Now, well, but so he
0: was, had to pay.
1: No, uh, and I'm sorry. That's a good question. What what did that mean? Well, what it meant was they said we had to remand this back to the lower courts to try this issue under the appropriate standard. And oh, so they
0: go through all the shit again.
1: Correct. Oh, because my God. it was the wrong standard. And my my understanding is that ultimately the debt was never paid and it was discharged. the The courts on remand said, you know what? He, this wasn't justifiable reliance. That that might not be true. It, they might have found it still non-dischargeable. But in the grand scheme of things, the guy never had any money. He never amassed like any anyway. subsequent wealth. He never could pay it, and he you know ultimately passed away.
0: Yeah. So for the creditor, then all the creditor did was just spend a shitload of money taking this guy to court over and over and over again, and got nothing in return.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a risk that creditors take every day. Um, you know, I think that but this, uh, doesn't,
0: this wasn't like a big creditor. This was like a, a dude.
1: Well, right? but it's but it was a it was a significant amount of money in the grand in in their scheme of things. I mean, it, it might have been, you know, eighty thousand or hundred thousand um, dollars, but but it was money. It was a lot of money to them. Right. And this was a guy who had been a very successful businessman. The debtor over the years, he had several successful businesses, and I think the creditor figured, look, this guy's going to turn on something else and get to be successful again, and I want to be there to be able to get my money. I mean, that
0: seems... But but in order to do that, he's having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees.
1: Well, yeah. So it seems well, like a big I hundreds of thousands, because r- don't forget, this is a small-town lawyer that was his lawyer who represented him all the way through. It True. wouldn't surprise me if he spent less than $40,000 in legal fees. Okay. Now, I think... Still seems like he paid a risk. It. It, it's clearly a risk, but he looked at it as the possibility of recovering... Well, he got what he paid for plus interest.
0: Yeah, I mean he gets he gets what he paid for because you know they won the case eventually. Sure, but it just in my mind it doesn't seem worth it in the end. Yes, you won, but what what he won was nothing.
1: Well, I think personally, what he won was nothing. I think maybe he thinks I made the bankruptcy laws more. Appropriate in their application as to the interest of creditors. Do you think he was really thinking that though? I I don't think so because he's not. I mean, like you said, he's He's not. He was a creditor just in a single transaction. Right. He was not somebody who's going to be involved in this time after time after time after time, where you could in in effect spread your costs over dozens or hundreds of thousands of transactions. It seems to
0: me like he had an axe to grind. Probably so. And, and so you know, maybe is, what he wanted was, ha-ha, I'm right and you're wrong.
1: This is a small town. I mean, yeah. it's just outside of uh, uh, where, over near where uh, Dartmouth College is, not a big population center. Right. And, uh, you know, it might even have been talk of the town at one point or another. And people have lots of reasons for, for pushing it as much as they do. And, I, you know, I don't know what the conversations he had with his lawyer who's thinking, man, this is a chance for me to argue with case in the Supreme Court. Yeah. Boy. We should appeal this again, right? Right. And uh, and you know he he turned out to be somewhat prescient, although I don't think in the long run did a great service necessarily. But uh, but it's hard to say. You know, the it's just client might have wanted
0: it. Yeah, it's just strange.
1: Yeah, but that was my that was my chance to participate in a case argued in the Supreme Court of the United States, and it was it was pretty cool all in all.
0: All right. Well. Uh... Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, that's really cool. I, I don't know that I've ever actually sat down with you and had that whole story laid out to me before. I mean, I know you haven't. I, I yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, I mean, I recall it happening. You know, I mean, because I was a freshman in high school, I think. Probably
1: about that. Yeah.
0: Um. So I mean, I I remember it happening, but uh, you know, I I was a.
1: You were otherwise focused. I was
0: a shitty little kid, and I didn't care that could yeah. have been true too. <laughs> but no, that's no it, it's really interesting to hear uh and and without a doubt it must have been as you said incredibly exciting just to, even though you didn't talk you're literally sitting right there as counsel yeah. in the Supreme Court and you know you know if Scalia got spittle on his lips and didn't wipe it off, you know, you would have been getting a shower. I, I mean was... you're you're sitting right there in the highest court in the nation and probably one of the most most respected courts in the world i would think yeah
1: i think it is yeah for for lots of good reasons yeah it was it was a fascinating opportunity it was fascinating to get to see it that close and and i saw i think so much more than had i actually been arguing the case i wouldn't have oh sure yeah you would have been oblivious hardly. to you're everything you're focused on super focused on... And, and you miss so much around you so right. it was a it was a very fortunate experience and uh uh, one that you know, I'm I'm glad I had a chance to do. I I wouldn't trade it for the world, even with a crazy uh, uh, travel schedule. What uh,
0: of of everything that happened that day? What was your favorite part? What's, I, th- I th- what's your, like your favorite little memory out of the whole thing?
1: I, I think it's the comb- It was two things. One of was literally hearing Justice Scalia under his breath saying, "That's right," in complete agreement with Justice Breyer. And the other was immediately after the argument, shaking hands with uh, Ned Whittington, who argued the case, and and talking with him about it, and, and just congratulating him, and and uh, giving our own two cents about how it went. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting, and it was it was a recognition of the kind of commitment that he had to the to the client's cause, and that was uh, fun to be a part of.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's a a a good place to, to, to end for today. Uh, thanks. I want to thank my dad for, uh, telling out this story over the past couple we uh, past couple episodes. And, uh, it was really, really neat for for me to hear. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed hearing it too. Um, maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it'll give my dad a little more street cred when we're we're talking about (laughs) the bullshit we talk about every once in a while on this show. He's actually been in the Supreme court. um, so anyway, thanks again so much for listening. We appreciate everybody that listens to the show. Uh, I'd like to ask you if you could take a few moments of your time to give us a rating on iTunes and uh, maybe even write a review. Uh, it really helps bring more visibility to the show and uh, share it with your friends and neighbors and tell everybody about it.
1: Give us a, a uh, Send us an email at motionsicknesstheshow.com uh, and uh, let us, at, well, let motion... us know at motionsickness.com.
0: no sickness. the show at gmail at gmail.com there it is (laughs) send it to us there
1: and uh we'll be happy to get your comments and suggestions for topics that you might want to hear a discussion about and uh uh keep looking out for strange people at the supreme court
0: yeah and so in closing uh just again if you're in dc always know this Uh, and you're bringing an accordion with you, that an establishment may not allow more than one accordion to be played for entertainment. So, one at a time, people. One at a time. Don't travel with Weird Al. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.